Welcome to the Fellow Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lesperance. Listen in as I host humble discussions exploring the diverse expressions of Christian spirituality, tradition, and beyond. Enjoy, and safe traveling. Hello, my fellow travelers. Thanks for listening in. I've really appreciated all your support. If you'd like to support me further, consider becoming a patron on my Patreon. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash morning sun underscore fellow traveler or click the link in the show notes. Thank you so much. I love you and safe traveling. Well, welcome everybody back to the fellow traveler. Um, here we are. It is March 28th. Can't believe March flew by 2023. And um, I'm talking with a very cool guy named Kenneth Tanner. Kenneth, do you go by Kenneth or Ken? Um, yeah, Kenneth. Kenneth, okay. Yeah, and my youth in the South, it was <laughs> uh, Kenna Wayne uh, together, Kenna. which my middle name is Wayne. Really? Uh, but uh, that, that's a long story. Uh, <laughs> but but in my, in our son, our eldest son is named Kenneth. Oh yeah, and in in our marriage, my college years, and and uh, my high school, I mean, people called me Ken mm-hmm. in California, and then somewhere along the line, I I I think it ended up being Kenneth. Uh, oh wow! And so, well, it's more proper, right? Kenneth. Yeah, yeah, more erudite. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, where are you zooming in from? I, I I'm sorry, Peter. Where, go ahead. Where are you zooming in from? Yeah, so we we live in the northern suburbs of Detroit, and we've been here in July. It'll be 18 years that I've wow. been pastor of a local um, Anglican adjacent congregation called Holy Redeemer. Oh wow! Um, and we were in Chicago as a family for um, almost six years prior. So we've been mm-hmm. in the Midwest for you know it's hard to imagine, but you know, um, you know, put all that together, um, you know, 20, you know, working on 23, working on 24 years. Wow. That's wild. But, um, my wife and I are both, um, our families of origin are, you know, deep families are in the South. Oh, wow. And both of us were born in the South and partly raised in South, I much longer than my wife. Mm-hmm. And then she ended up in Northern California and I ended up in Southern California. She and her childhood and going forward and myself around high school. And then we met in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. but we were together in California as a married couple, having children and everything else for a dozen years. Um, and I was in California, Southern California for 20 years altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, here we are. That's <laughs> awesome. Detroit. Yeah. Detroit. I mean, that's in the, in, I feel like uh, that area of Michigan's in the news quite a bit. 
Oh no, Flint, Michigan, rather. But yeah. Detroit. Yeah. Detroit has its uh its stories. Yeah, yeah, it's been having some renaissance. Um that's good. The last, last little while. Um, a lot of these old mill towns and factory towns are yeah. all the factories are being turned into these hipster joints, these <laughs> yeah. breweries and music venues. Sure. Shopping. I places. mean, I mean, you know, Michigan is a, you know, is a very large and yeah. beautiful state. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, the the outdoors here are, you know, some of the most magnificent parts of Loved our. Loved it. I want to join. I, I want to come by so bad yeah. and visit Michigan, especially the Upper Peninsula. I've heard that's gorgeous. And we get full. You know, we get four seasons here. The the oh, fall yeah. is the fall and springs are unfortunately short, but um, they're beautiful and. Uh, then we have a, a longish winter and a, a lot of snow, a long, long sort of long summer. Um, uh, not as much in the last several years. Yeah. Uh, but, but we have, you know, you can get a lot, not, mm-hmm. not as much here in Detroit as they do on the West side near Lake Michigan. They oh, like yeah. Chicago, they get a lot of lake effect snow. Mm-hmm. And Western Michigan gets really it just gets socked in, you know, yeah. like Chicago can. Mm-hmm. that's rare around here so. that's cool well it's always nice hearing where people are and where they live mm-hmm. but um so yeah tell me a little bit about your spiritual heritage where did you find your roots in your spirituality your christian spirituality and as you go along you can think about com- um, experiences that you've had whether mystical or mundane that have kind of kept you in the faith or guided you to where you are now really curious to hear that story okay you can share as much um, or as little as you'd like. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, it's there's a lot, <laughs> but um, it it kind of multi generationally Pentecostal, um, meaning my my parents' parents were both Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, um, old school Pentecostals, and um, and from you know early in their adulthoods and sometimes earlier. Um, my mother's father was a minister in the Church of God, um, all up and down the state of Florida. Um, you know, deep roots um, on both sides of my mother's family in Florida, and on my my uh, both families. My my mother's family and my father's family have been in America for hundreds of years. I mean, so, um, but uh, in the, the in uh, Tennessee. The coastal areas of Carolina and Georgia um, are where my father's people are from, and particularly Cleveland, Tennessee, which is where one of the the major Pentecostal revivals broke out. And of course, the Church of God, uh, Cleveland, Tennessee. My parents were both raised. My my father in a you know in a church in Orlando, so a a, a little bit more of a city parish, but a, our church. Um, and uh but with lots of older members and sort of old school pentecostal people my mother in lots of different country rural settings churches where my my grandfather was leading very small churches all over the place um and the element of that that certainly would have been in my grandparents generation but my parents generation was a holiness uh approach uh not just not just rare mystical experiences of speaking in tongues or what have you, but um, but also you know how you dressed, um, you know, and and I mean when I growing up, of course I you know assumed 
no alcohol, no cigarettes and these kinds of things. But, um, you know, really they couldn't go to movie theaters. They, any kind of, um, you know, theater, um, musicals, plays, um, they didn't go to public sporting events. Um, there, you know, of course, no makeup, no jewelry. Um, and men were expected to have, you know, clean shave and short hair. Women were, you know, um, you know, kept their hair up or very long, did not cut their hair, they, no slacks, dresses for women and that type of thing, right? However, you know, my experience with my grandparents um, and of the elderly, the older members of the congregation where I spent most of my childhood and, and adolescence, um, you know, that wasn't the thing. Jesus was the thing. And uh, Jesus was the one in their prayers, um, in their tears, which, I, I mean, I think that's the thing about the, char the charismata, the gifts of the Spirit, in the context of the Pentecostal Church, was it was understood that it was kind of rare and mystical and beautiful, but also accompanied by wailing, by mourning, by lament, by tears, um, as St. Simeon would say, you know, uh, baptizing their faces uh, again. Um, so real precious people, deep prayer, they're working class people, um, always trying to take care of, even though they were working class, taking care of other people less fortunate themselves. And, uh, you know, concern um, about other human beings and, um, and deep prayer for their children, for their neighbors, for um, their, their fellow uh, believers, um, and loved. I mean, you know, they loved the church. I mean, they would have revivals that would last, you know, you know, even though they were working in factories and for the phone company and who knows what mostly blue collar folks but um you know they were in church on wednesday night for hours sunday was just church. i mean you know you went to sunday school then you went to the main service then you went home and had lunch but then you were back in the evening and service could go <coughs> for hours on sunday night you know and these are people that almost everybody had to punch a clock in the on monday morning so um they were very devoted to the person of jesus and to the work of the spirit, um, sometimes exuberant, sometimes, um, you know, and, and and not so much in the, the city church that I grew up in, but sometimes, in, you know, country churches, you know, it'd be, you know, it could get very demonstrative and very ecstatic and, <clears throat> pardon me, very unpredictable, mm -hmm. you know, um, but uh, still, the balance of all my experiences was beauty. You know, hmm. and I think even though there were some things that were taught that, you know, I, I came to reject, um, uh, I loved it, you know, and the singing and the music was, that was my, my father was a very good singer. Um, he was killed in Vietnam when I was only five. Uh, and that, that radically changed the course of, of my life in, in, in more ways than one. And uh, yeah, that's wild. And so, uh, but, you know, he was, you know, the Blackwood brothers wanted him to come sing. My my, my grandmother would not let him do the Jerry Lee Lewis thing. You know, I mean, it's just, <laughs> you're not leaving home at 18 to yeah. go sing with these people in Nashville, you know. So, oh, so he could have um, been a famous musician? Yeah, he really could have. I mean, wow. he, had, he had a, a fantastic voice. And I have 
a very cherished 45 that has three songs on it with his quartet. Oh, wow. Um, and it's, you know, it's amber, vinyl, you know, it's really something. And, cool. um, uh, but, but anyway, um, and his, his grandson, my son, uh, is, a, has an amazing, amazing voice. He handles, oh, wow, he's, cool. he's the director of our music at, at Holy Redeemer and, uh, is, uh, has a wonderful voice. And some of my children, some of his, some of his other children, my children and his other, uh, great, his other grandchildren mm-hmm. um have uh you know really tremendous musical talent my my mother was widowed for <clears throat> for uh almost five years um and uh she met this young uh youth pastor in the church of god who was who didn't grow up in the church of god he didn't grow up pentecostal he was baptized he's from michigan his family from kentucky and michigan and uh, he was baptized as a Lutheran and grew up basically in Baptist churches in Kentucky and in Michigan and had sort of abandoned his life and entered the counterculture in the 60s and early 70s. And then really found Jesus among, you know, basically Jesus freaks and and um and uh, through revivals and sort of and just kind of turned his whole life over to God and you know stopped smoking, stopped drinking and and found this sort of you know east side of Orlando, very country, you know Church of God and he you know walked in there as a hippie with an upside down you know American flag on his you know the ass of his jeans, you know and uh, you know um, and just those people and this is what i'm trying to say those people loved him welcomed him received him and his friends just as they are just as they were and uh but you know it was the kind of funny thing he he was a charismatic personality and the pastor took an immediate interest in him and uh and you know within you know a year and a half like he was the associate pastor of this church you know off the street and you know off drugs and everything that's why and, uh, and he was he was mentoring him you didn't go off in that denomination you didn't go off the seminary you were just mentored by a pastor and, and brought along well this pastor was showing him how to do hospital visitations and my mom had had a surgery and so he noticed her name and said oh i know her father he's a colleague of mine and but uh and i, I know this woman why don't we go pray for her and they did and they met and long story sh- short i mean and this is also crazy but like six weeks later they were married and so um, all of a sudden I went, you know, I went from, you know, not having a dad for five years to having a, somebody, I, I mean, I really, I liked him, you know, and I had three younger sisters and he, you know, obviously we started attending this church uh, on the east side of Orlando. And then he got, he got called down to West Palm, to North Palm Beach, to a larger church of God down there with this gruntled group of like 13 youth to be the associate pastor and take care of these youth. Well, he's a charismatic individual, but also like the Jesus movement that began in California, it was taking hold gradually across the rest of the country. And in the mid seventies, it was really still very much alive. And he started ministering in hundreds of, of like high school, college age, 20 something start attending 
this little building that's on the property of this larger church of God, and that church becomes larger than the, you know, than the the main church of God there, and wow. uh, it it became problematic, and he was asked to leave because you know the pastor was not was jealous, and it's a long story. He went back to Orlando. He left the Church of God, went back to Orlando, and started an independent charismatic church on on the south side near where we had a home that my mom built after my father was killed. And um, so we were back there for a couple of years pastoring in, in an independent charismatic setting. And and there were dad was very much into kind of almost he was into a lot of things like Keswick and but also, you know, so which is actually has some really interesting and Watchman Nee, also people, you know, someone who's very interesting, Smith Wigglesworth, Jesse Penn Lewis, and and people like that. And I um I remember loving reading, especially Keswick. And he had us, you know, one summer he was like, This is what you're gonna do with your summer, you know, is study Keswick. And um Yeah, those are was, a lot of names that I've heard before. Yeah, very, very interesting. But he was also you know, kind of like into all, I mean, shepherding movement, he got in prophetic movement. He was just, you know, vastly curious. And he ended up, he ended up getting called to California to be on the staff of a, the largest church he'd ever participated in, in Tustin, California, which had come out of a host of the Trinity Broadcasting Network starting a church. And we were only there for a few months before they, the leadership of that church decided to plant five different bodies out of that church because they were meeting in school and it just wasn't sustainable because it had gotten that large. So my dad took the southernmost part of Orange County folks that were going all the way to Tustin. So, you know, half an, some people were driving half an hour or more. And so we ended up in Mission Viejo and uh it was still again charismatic independent charismatic and uh and that you know that was through the 80s i mean my mm -hmm. high school experience uh i you know i went off to orovich university um i was at southern california college which is a college of the assemblies of god it's now mm -hmm. called vanguard university in costa yeah. mesa for a year and then i went to orovich university and, and mm -hmm. I mean, there's, I'm cutting, you know, there's yeah, a lot, oh, yeah. there's a lot in all of that, but we, you know, we don't have time. Well, I'm and curious, I, I'm curious if when, yeah. during your time in those churches with your father-in-law pastoring and yeah. whatnot, were there any my, experiences? With my, with my stepfather, yeah. Oh, stepfather, that's what I meant, not father-in-law, stepfather. Um, yeah, was there any experiences that you had within those charismatic, like, revivals or movements? Did, did it feel like you had a real connection to God, or do you feel like you were just there? I I do remember moments at, at, at you know as a child in the Pentecostal settings, both at at services and at what they would call camp meetings, which would be like statewide events that were held open air, mm -hmm. you know, uh, kind of revivals, old fashioned tent um, revivals. Yeah, tent revivals, really. And but they had they had a permanent structure that was like a tent, right? Oh, wow. And I mean, they had lots of buildings. This was, a, you know, this was a big, big, big thing. You, it was like a, you know, you would go for a whole week, right? Mm -hmm. The whole state. And this was like all over the place like this. And you listen to preaching and singing. And it was, I mean, just amazing, right? Yeah. And in and, and what it was, it was very, very well done. And uh, mm -hmm. 
so both the preaching and the singing not that i you know ascribed everything they were teaching at the time anymore no, yeah, I hear you. but i did have lots of experiences both at church and in camp meetings and summer camps and these kinds of things mm-hmm. of the beauty of jesus and i felt i loved jesus mm-hmm. i you know i was my sunday school teachers were amazing teachers of scripture oh, awesome. i loved the songs i loved the music i felt close to christ mm-hmm. um and uh, i did start when i went to a baptist high school and i had a great teacher there um both in scripture and in the christian faith his name is jeff zippy I'm still uh, uh you know he lives in central coast now california still uh in correspondence with him beautiful man who opened my interest to lots of other lots of other ways because he was trained at Talbot and was very much an evangelical, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I I was able to see things from his vantage point a lot. But um, I did start encountering things almost immediately when my, you know, in the charismatic realm mm-hmm. that troubled me, experiences that I had that worried me, things that were being said that did I I I felt that no, this is this isn't there's something not right about it. i can't articulate it. i'm yeah. a kid yeah i'm a kid i'm a teenager i don't know but i don't like what's happening what's being said what's being taught mm-hmm. yeah. what is happening um and uh you know i, I it's crazy so, that you had you had you felt like you had the agency to be able to to question it at, at such a young age i did i did i mean um <laughs> there was a crisis you mm-hmm. know when i was at when i was at the assemblies of god school because the professors there had been missionaries in Central America, mm-hmm. in South America, and they'd read Sobrano and they'd read Gutierrez and and other people. Oh, yeah. so they, brought, they brought some of liberation with them. Wow! Right into that setting, and I was learning some of that in my freshman year, and <laughs> I, I and I was also questioning, you know, the prophetic. I was questioning charismatic, sort. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to be clear here. I'm not talking about what happened in Roman Catholicism or the mainline churches in the 60s and where what was happening authentically, I think, in a lot of Pentecostal settings that began in the Black church, and this is all has its mm-hmm. its, its roots in Wesleyan and Holiness revivals in the 19th century, as oh, Donald yeah. Dayton has shown. Uh, there's something very authentic there, but and and also in the initial moves of of the spirit and the manifestation of gifts in the mainline churches in catholicism mm. and even in orthodoxy yeah um a lot of people don't know that that there was, and my father who grew up catholic um when he had an experience at a a meeting um that kind of drew him into god and then he he came to he actually started going to like revival meetings at the Catholic church where he grew up at the parish and became good friends with the priest there, Father Dunkley. And they yeah. would have like charismatic meetings at the Catholic church. And a lot of people don't know that that um, charismatic movement isn't just um, isn't just evangelicals and low church. It's kind of it kind of was all over. It, it, it burst out all over the place. Clearly involved in the work of god i mean you know there's this uh, jesus revolution film that's just come yeah. out which is about you know lonnie frisbee and chuck um uh um uh, uh greg laurie and chuck mm-hmm. smith yeah right and and it, it doesn't tell the whole story and it's complicated and everything else but um you know god did something in the heart mm-hmm. of a you know ev free minister 
in a pretty tight church, you mm-hmm. know, little tiny church of people who did not want to welcome hippies. And all of a sudden, all these bobble wearing, probably, you know, who knows, high the night before, you know, mm-hmm. young people start showing up. And he, Smith opens his heart to him and God does something, right? Yeah. It's undeniable, even though maybe it becomes something, you know, that we, you know, need to have some discernment about and rethink and say, well, this is not, this was good, but this isn't and so forth. And that's, I mean, this is just being human. It's what it's always been about in the church. And so, so, but the spirit breaking out in the Catholic church and in all these mainline settings needs to be respected and and mm. um and held as something that god was doing and then then there's a second wave in the 80s that starts to mm. bring in a lot of teaching oh yeah and and the people that were catholics or lutherans or methodists or baptist you know had the had their traditions they were raised in that were grounding their experiences and something you know, the wider church could affirm. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times in these independent circles are where, you know, people started just, you know, these charismatic circles where there wasn't a foundation and something else to be a critique to what was happening. There are a lot, of, I mean, just, you know, every wind of doctrine, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, oh, there, yeah. was, there was a lot of strange stuff from mm-hmm. what it means to be spiritual authorities aren't who they are in your life. What oh, is yeah. the, what is prophecy and what, you know, and and abuses of yeah. of spiritual gifts and odd, <laughs> odd readings of scripture. Not to mention the way it becomes commercialized, the way it becomes commodified, the way that you know people you know make it an industry out of it instead of something mystical. Mm. And, um, and and so it, you know it's really a, a pro- problematic. And then of course what we've seen now in late uh, a lot, not all. But a lot of late charismatic faith, where there is, uh, you know, an infection of Christian nationalism, yeah, um, and uh, and and the prophetic has really been mm. commodified and mm. commercialized, and um, and of course there's whole industries of music mm-hmm. and so forth. Some of which is is good. Some of which, you know, I think we need to have, um, you know, we we need to. You know, to to I mean I, I you know how do you say it? But I mean you need to be. Yeah. We, there needs to be some critical. Yeah. There needs sure. to be some you know some critical uh, looking at some of these things. Yeah. But I you know so what happens to me? Is, well, you also I was going to mention too. There was the the whole moral majority movement as well as well in the yeah, 80s. and that 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 of course the foundation of what became in the charismatic and prophetic charismatic circles in the late part of the last decade and now um, where we really, they really married themselves to particular mm-hmm. person, political personalities and political movements yeah. and so forth and so on has its foundation, mm. right. And evangelicals and others marrying themselves to earlier forms of politics. Not, not that, not that other kinds of Christians haven't married themselves to other kinds of politics, mm-hmm. but we're talking about, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're talking about charismatics yeah and uh and 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 they they weren't marrying themselves to the left so yeah exactly um but you know and i you know i think we need to you know to to really you know put up some uh, some boundaries around mm-hmm. that when it comes to the church and the church of the gospel but um i uh 
you know, all along, as I said, yeah. in the late in the late seventies and early eighties, as I was, my my dad and my mother were taking us into all sorts of charismatic teachings, experiences, places, personalities. Um, you know, and and uh, you know, um, there, there were just times where I was like, you know, this doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't seem right. <laughs> and this all came to a head for me when I, when I, you know, was basically, you know, sent to Oral Roberts after my parents just got very concerned about what was happening, at, at, both in my intellect and in my confession around my experiences at Southern California College. And they thought, well, let's send him to this charismatic school. They'll fix him, <laughs> you know, there. Um, and I applied to Wheaton and got a full academic scholarship but uh they were really clear you know you're going to to uh or or you well i'm glad i did i met some i mean one of the things that people don't understand about or roberts university it was founded you know it was a dream of oral roberts in the 60s to found the first charismatic university in the world and it and founded within that as i say something that had a lot of integrity that was happening across all sorts of Christian denominations and good people from, you know, that were different church backgrounds that had tenure at Missouri and at, at, at Brown and other places left tenured positions to come to teach at ORU. So in the mid eighties, when I went there, the faculty were outstanding. I mean, and I, and I was studying English and history and uh, journalism and, and other things. I wasn't studying theology, but the, I mean, it was just a beautiful, I was reading Abraham Heschel. I was, you know, um, we were reading Joseph Lynch. We were reading Flannery O'Connor. We were reading Dorothy Day and uh, Thomas Merton and Walker Percy. Mm. And, you wow. know, and, and, uh, and, and the faculty were just amazing. And I was really blessed with the mm. people like uh, Bill Epperson, who was, uh, my advisor in the English department, and yeah. particularly Hugh Morgan, who ended up at at the CBN University, uh, political science professor. Really, mm. uh, I was reading Robert Alter, and one of the things these guys did was teach me how to read texts. Mm. You know, and um, and I am just forever grateful, and I've maintained relationships with uh, God rest Bill. Um, but uh, you know, um, but the the the. The spiritual life, by the time I got there, had become dominated by what I said was the second wave of sort of charismatic thing that was yeah. prosperity, teaching, health More and majority. wealth, gospel, and all of this stuff was happening, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though Oral very much remained a Democrat and mm -hmm. and it was involved in Oklahoma sort of Democratic politics and and even the people that would come and speak were democrats right interesting so we, there wasn't so much that going on as there was and not like i said i don't i mean i don't have a i, I i'm i'm not interested primarily in all of that uh -huh. but um the spiritual life was a little weird you know at ORU yeah. because it was dominated by this kind of um culture war yeah yeah by teachings that were um, contrary, really, to to the teachings of Christ, contrary mm. to the gospel, and uh, so it came to a head for me. It was happening the whole first, you know, two years that I was there. But the second half, the second year, um, the shuttle Challenger blew up. 
um, on, mm -hmm. in, on, on a, in a morning in January, late January. Um, and, uh, you know, we had these mandatory chapel services that we were all supposed to go to. And I, I went and, um, it, it was, it was an undergrad chapel. So the graduate schools weren't there, but the chaplain to the undergrads was there. And he said, look, this tragedy has happened today and it's horrific, but we're going to leave it outside the walls of this chapel because we're here to praise Jesus. You know, we're here to give glory to God. And they, they started into the, you know, the drums and the guitars and the singers in it, you know, I mean, they did, they did good things there, but six or eight bars or so into the song, I sat down, which typically I wouldn't do in that situation, but I did because I was like, there's just something not right about this. What, I mean, I, I, you know, I can look back on it and articulate it in ways that I probably wasn't able to as a 20 year old, but I think I knew that there was, there was a problem that we could not allow suffering and lament and silence and pause and other things like that, P-A-U-S-E, into the service and into our worship. And, um, but I think, you know, if you want to talk about experiences from God, yep. the, there was a juxtaposition in that moment in that for the the only time I remember a faculty member from you know or Roberts got up and spoke um that was uh you know from the religion faculty and his man named Charles Farah and he was a theologian wrote a book called from the pinnacle of the temple and he got into the pulpit and he said I want to talk to you about my the experience of uh, my wife dying last year and um same service and he said um, that he wanted to um, tell us about how in that experience of suffering, they had come to understand that they were participating in the sufferings of Jesus in different ways. She's dying. He's watching her die. She's his one flesh union. He's struggling with all of that. But then he said something that was, I mean, that, that was beautiful. But then there was something even more interesting to me, and that was he was like, God was suffering with us in this. There was a mutuality, a fellowship of suffering that was happening between God and them. And I was like, ooh, okay. I want to know more about that because that seemed, and of course, I was acquainted with suffering myself to some extent, um, at, even at, at 20. Um, with lost my father, and, uh, and and other things that had happened, I I I was very, I was I was a sickly child, um, and I I was in the hospitals and things a lot, and um, so I was like, okay, this makes sense of the world because I need my faith to account for suffering. You know, I mean, not in the sense of you know a, a ledger where it, where it all works out, but just like bring, allow it in and have some understanding of it in light of of this person named jesus so it was my fortune that there was a man named jim shelton who was at ru and um he had i was working in the bookstore there and he had put some books in there um he had ordered them and thought you know students need to read these books and one of them was called evangelicals not enough by tom howard who was a professor at gordon college on cape ann 
and um and had you know his i mean he's his credentials he you know um his family you know elizabeth elliott his sister uh you know uh, her whose husband through gates of splendor you know the whole nine yards and uh you know he was raised in this evangelical setting with flannel graph you know in sunday school and 19th century blood hymns and scripture memorization and all these things and i'm going yep Yep, yep, because it's the Pentecostal. It was that was very much our world, except we spoke in tongues too, right? And so uh then he he at the conclusion of this chapter in which he, you know, describing things, you know, things about his faith that he loved, he was like, but it wasn't enough. And he said, you know, next chapter he starts talking about the first Christians and particularly about Irenaeus and how God made the world good. And that God was interested in saving this world. And not just my soul, but, you know, the human race. And he becomes what he makes uh, in mm. order to rescue us and the creation from the futility of death and dissolution and everything else. Wow. And uh, recapitulation, of course, mm. is what he's talking about. And... uh and I, you know, and I, having been raised, and, and I say, you know, all these beautiful things about, I mean, one of the things Pentecostalism could be was very escapist. Yeah. You know, this world is going to just be destroyed. This world is going away, um, you know, uh, and, with, you know, and uh, we're going to be we'll raptured all, away. We'll all be taken away. Yeah. We won't, we won't suffer. We'll all be taken away while the rest of the world, you know, goes to hell. And, um you know, uh, and I won't get into Thief in the Night and things like that, that my parents made me, you know, I mean, yep. you know, oh, I yeah. church and watch and all these things. But well, I grew up uh, with Left Behind. So yeah, yeah. I mean, next, <laughs> it's just the next generation, right? Exactly. So, um, yeah, what, what exactly what you're saying is yeah. something that, um, you know, it, it's something that just in the past few years has come to my, because even um, been introduced to me you know i or or just by my stumbling upon this kind of more in, incarnational thinking and um and thinking about um the world and how god in, relates with the world because yeah i grew up in um assemblies of god and then and then a church that was non-denominational and pentecostal and it was always about um escaping and and the gospel yeah. was centered around centered around like say these words these magic words and then god will help you escape you know he'll help yes, you escape the yes. suffering yeah but jesus is completely the opposite he says no if you want to follow me you have to suffer yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. to take up your cross yes wild yes and so bonhoeffer is wonderful on this while we seek to escape our humanity god becomes human right and so that should be our first clue that it's not about leaving the human behind. It's about really becoming human. Right. And so um, uh, it, as I began to read the first Christians and they had uh, they had what they call a Vesper service on Sunday evenings uh, at ORU that had been started by a Methodist minister named Bob Stamps wrote a wonderful hymn called God and Man at Table are Set Down so good um and you know um i began to experience 
the person of Jesus in the blessed bread and wine at those services. And I started to see, yes, it was Tom, there is more to this. And of course that meal is connected to suffering and that connect that's meal is connected to becoming human. Um, and, and I, and I started to see that the first Christians had a whole other way of reading scripture, mm -hmm. um, a whole other way of, you know, of understanding Jesus, particularly the Christian East. Mm -hmm. And over time throughout the eighties, as I was, you know, um, I left ORU and went back to California and back to my dad's charismatic church. And in the meantime, he's been reading C.S. Lewis. He's been reading Austin Farrar. He's been reading uh, Alexander Schmemann and so forth. And um, all along, along with a friend of his named um, David Chilton. And um, he's moving in a more you know, in, 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 in a deeper understanding of the faith and a more historically grounded understanding of Jesus. And um, beginning, so we start sharing this journey together, oh, my wow, stepfather great. and I. Um, and uh, so, and then you, you know, by hook or by crook, I, you know, I, 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 I was reading lots of people uh bob weber became a friend he introduced me to tom odin i i i started corresponding with tom and we we did some work together and um we had some conferences and basically you know people who are interested as pentecostals charismatics third wave evangelicals and others who were kind of on the journey of trying to understand the first christians and um just got involved in that in various ways um in the uh in the late 80s and early 90s and um uh and you know and began to pursue even though i was working for um a nasdaq listed pharmaceutical company um as a writer <laughs> mm -hmm. um i i uh began to pursue ministry um and uh you know i um I think through all those experiences, I be, it became it began to become clear to me. See, this is for me mm -hmm. from the from my earliest days in Pentecostalism to now and back then in the you know when I was making this shift, it's always been about Jesus. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I was interested in Jesus, and if things got too far afield of him, um, that that he, that was kind of my rudder, you know. And you always so, had this ability to discern. I I don't know. I I, I don't want to say like I'm sure. Uh, you know. Yeah. I you, please. I'm not. Um, no, I, I'm, I I'm not some kind of. Uh, you no, know. but I think I think Jesus. You know, using that Jesus as a rudder. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, yeah. Um, so so metaphor. the the analogy, um, imperfectly, uh, impartially, um, by hook and by crook, and and I'm still. And we all are still um, on a journey to understanding the, who the human God is and what it means for the world, what it means for all humans and what it means for time and what it means for space and what it means, you know, but I, um, I, uh, it was always about him. 
And what I began to understand is I needed the whole church in order Mm. to see Jesus. Irenaeus uh, in the regular fide has, uh, you know, he talks about, um, uh, you know, um, the, uh, he gives this analogy of the mosaic. And and what he's doing with that is he's saying, um, uh, you know, a, a mosaic floor was often painted and designed somewhere else and then crated up and shipped somewhere else. So on the back of the tiles, you would have a hypothesis so that when it was shipped from, you know, I'm just going to throw some towns out, but I mean, it was shipped from, you know, Jerusalem to Rome or whatever, who knows whether they ever did that, but you you could read the back of the tiles and put the floor back together, you know, wherever it was shipped to. And so Irenaeus says, you know, that that the heretics, you know, get the hypothesis in the back of all of these stones wrong as they read scripture. And they put the scriptures together in the wrong way. And so you have an image of a fox instead of the image of a king, you know, um, the image of a snake instead of the image of a shepherd and so forth and so on. Um, and um, and what I, but I, what I, what, what it became clear to me and just got borrowing that analogy that, that the church has different pieces of the mosaic that makes up the full image of Christ, and I needed to be in communion with Anabaptist brothers, with uh, Eastern Orthodox brothers, with Methodist brothers, with uh, Pentecostals, with with Presbyterians, and and others to begin to see the fullness. And again, you know, j- just partially and perfectly, and so forth, but begin to see who Jesus is, and uh, particularly in you know that this one does human things divinely and does divine things humanly and it's not god doing the miracles and the son doing the 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 hunger and the thirst but indeed god cries and thirsts and hungers and and the man heals and 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 vice versa all the time because it's one person and i began to by their their testimony be able to read the scriptures uh, and understand them in in constant continuous communion even now with other friends and people who are desiring to know him um and it just changed our our view um of of worship it changed our view of the church it changed mm-hmm. our view of, of of what it means to lead in the in the church it, it, it you know it uh, it transformed our view of the poor yeah and uh and, and so forth and so on and always always the humility of Jesus mm. is what has attracted me. Um, and so I, you know, the vulnerable, I call it the vulnerable God. You know? mm. And so I'm constantly going back to that. Um, and I, you know, I've, I, you know, I've been very um, blessed in the years I was in Chicago. I got to know uh, Tom Oden. I, I, I'm not excuse me, Bob, Robert Jensen and um and, and others and i i was of course i was on staff with patrick henry reardon and some other orthodox um and and i came here to be a pastor and, and but in those six years i i was able to meet and talk and dialogue with all mm-hmm. sorts of people like robert wilkin and 
and, and others who helped me see kept continuously see new things. Um, there's been, I, you know, for, for about a decade, I was just kind of had my nose in the ground being a mm -hmm. pastor here, but around, you know, 2015 and earlier, I met Brad and Chris Green, mm -hmm. Brad yeah. Tursak, Chris Green, Brian Zond in the yeah. early part of the teens, you know, like 2012, 20. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That was when a lot and, of that was was coming about. Yeah, and 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 all of that has has really really deepened my life mm. and my appreciation for Jesus. Um, you know, and other people, you know, like Cherith and and Julie, and um, have come into my life, and um, and and uh, in particular, you know, for all for all of us, you know. A friendship and collaboration with uh, Father John Bear. Um, oh yeah, and uh, and and so um, who all of whom have have just convinced me more and more mm -hmm. that uh, you know the humanity of God is tied to the cross. I think hearing a, a Father John Bear sermon was the first time that I saw like understood the crucifixion and resurrection differently. Oh yeah, he was basically just reiterating what Irenaeus and Athanasius were saying, but basic like when he's when he said um, it was about um, how on the cross when Jesus said it was finished, it is finished. Yeah, he's talking about man, human, humanity is finished in Christ. It finds its telos in Christ. Yes, yes, and that's just like it blew my mind. I'm like, wait, I thought it is finished meant like it is finished. The Father doesn't have to be mad at us anymore. You know? <laughs> it's just totally different way of thinking. It's Jesus, you know, I mean, this is just John, but Jesus shows us what it is to be God mm -hmm. by the way he dies as a human, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and, and uh, so he shows us what it means to be God and what it means to be human. Mm. by the way that he dies and, and for the life of the world voluntarily you know changing mm -hmm. death from something passive that happens to us that we have we get to join him in actively taking up our deaths mm. and 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 dying with god for the life of the world and and death is transfigured from ahora and and mm. terra and um, a darkness to the as the psalmist says the 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 everlasting gates um to 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 life without end wow. um so that as maximus says he's changed the use of death wow. um and you know it, and and so it, it's no longer it's it, it, it's filled with god mm -hmm. um and so you know um what i think what's drawn me to all of these individuals is that we share the same interest in the person of jesus mm -hmm. that's at the center of what john's doing of what brian's doing what julie's doing what Charis is doing what brad is doing chris is doing and uh people like win collier um mm -hmm. and uh who's also a friend so you know i've just been really privileged i'm you know i love being a pastor i'm a chaplain yeah. to, i'm a chaplain to our local uh, county uh, sheriff um and I've been, i'm a pastor and i write and i i do some work with these friends of mine mm -hmm. and all of those things are about you know i hope 
And I pray it's about, you know, uh, entering more mm-hmm. in, into his life. So um, you're, you're an Anglican pastor or Anglican adjacent? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm ordained within the charismatic Episcopal church. Interesting. Um, which was founded um, in the late eighties and early nineties by Pentecostals and charismatics and third wave evangelicals and some Wesleyans, wow. vineyard types who discovered the ancient Christians and literally Christians and sacraments and the way they read scripture and their concern for the poor and everything. And, and decided, mm-hmm. well, there's as Tom did, there's more to this, you know, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that we despise where we were, but it does give us a deep discernment about some of the things that, you know, we were taught and some mm-hmm. of the things that we were doing. And yeah, yeah. some of those things fell aside. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, um, and then, you know, I mean, it's, it's I mean, we talk about this for a long time, but it's kind yeah. of boring. I mean, <laughs> a bunch of, uh, there was no alternative, if you will, Anglican group in the yeah. United States at that period of time. Mm-hmm. It emerged, some groups emerged in the mid nineties, but not before that. So really scores of Episcopal clergy and congregations left the Episcopal church and joined the CEC. And so wow. it was this amalgam of former, you know, uh, charismatics and Pentecostals and, and vineyard Wesleyan types with these guys who, you know, we, we were kind of wondering about the whole kind of federated, the spiritual, the spirit, the spiritual gifts and all of that. And what, what's good and what's bad. And, and they had fully as litur- liturgical sacramental Christians from their, from the cradle, they were kind of embracing all that and just jumping into it with both feet Mm-hmm. and we're kind of like you know the the historical and ancient stuff was old hat for them and not maybe not they didn't have a passion mm-hmm. for that whereas we were kind of wondering what about this whole thing but we're really yeah. passionate about the ancient so it made for a really interesting synergy mm-hmm. um and there there are other groups besides ours there's the CEC which is Chris Ed Gunger and Chris Green are uh, a part of Mm. And uh, Russell McClanahan and some others, and, and you know they they have very close ties to Francis, uh, you know uh, the Pope. So mm. uh, you know, um, and of course there are people, evangelicals, charismatics, um, and Baptists, and stuff that have become either Anglican mm. or they become Orthodox, or yeah, they become Catholic in this sort of interest. Uh, so we're just a little, you know one group in what was like a Paul, what Robert Weber called the the convergence movement, you know, where mm-hmm. the churches, you know, the, the contemporary church is waking up to all the gifts mm-hmm. the spirit has left with the church through its history and all the saints and all the practices and all the gifts and all the, mm-hmm. the sermons and all the writings and, and, and all the disciplines and everything. And, uh, and various people, you know, picked up on various parts of that. But um, I'm really interested in all of it, especially if it mm-hmm. helps us know Jesus. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because where where you were back in the 80s is basically like where I am now, moving in more of that direction of like seeking more of that litur- liturgical, sacramental expression of the faith. And I think I kind of got burnt out, you know, from the evangelical charismatic movement growing up in it. I think I'm weary of it which is kind of sure. sad to some degree. 
you know, I, I, I try not to be resentful or to be like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, too critical. But at the same time, it's like, I find myself kind of bet weary of charismatic stuff. And but I think here's an important thing is like, don't you do you think it's important to be connected to the wider church, you know, in that sense, because, because, you know, the charismatic movement, I grew up in largely, like one of the churches is non denominational. And, and that can leave, it's kind of dangerous, you know, it can, it can leave things, a lot of things up to interpretation. People can go and run with things without any accountability. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think all of these things, you know, I think we want Jesus, the spirit of Christ um, <clears throat> with us as we can, as we are encountered by them, confronted by them um, and all these phenomena and, and teachings and, and practices and and measure and he needs to be the measure you know um what mm -hmm. my my nephew was just you know they, they're experiencing an outbreak of mystical experiences at their at his church in california and he was he noticed that i've been writing about pentecostals and charismatics and some things that i'm concerned about and he said well how you know how would you how do you know if something you know is authentic and grounded and everything and i you know I said, you know, is the character, is it, is it creating the character of Jesus in people? Is that, you know, I mean, this, there's, I said, we talked about this for a long time, but I'm not going to go into all of it, but, you know, is the, it, is it leading to humility, you know, um, and transfiguration, transformation in terms of, uh, of the character of Jesus? You yeah, know? you see in the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Are you, and I exactly said, I said exactly that. I said, you know, is it, it, it is, you know, is hope and joy and peace and, um, and long suffering and these kinds of things. Self-discipline. Um, That's the hard one. <laughs> Self-control. Yeah. Yeah. Self-control. My least favorite of the yeah. fruit. <laughs> you know, and uh, is it, well, you know, and, and so, it, you know, is it being commodified? Is it being commercialized? Is it being, instrumentalized is it being used mm. and so uh, you ask about mystical experiences i think um there there are many but i i, I do remember just as i'm sitting here just remembering at at an ordination of at a consecration of a bishop in san antonio in the early 90s i was a deacon and there were hundreds of people there frankly scores of clergy and i was just a deacon serving at the table and i was up against the back wall and they were singing this hymn at the at the end um, of the service, and well known in sort of Catholic charismatic circles, um, and uh, about sending, you know, being sent. And we were singing this song, and I I had my hands raised, and I was just singing along, and I had this really palpable sense of my paternal and my paternal grandfather's joining hands with me as we praise God, you know, and I knew in that moment, the reality of the communion of saints, and I'm getting sort of, um, you know, um, uh, quickened about it again, right now, just my whole self, um, just an affirmation that they were with me in that moment and praising with us, you know, and wow, that's uh, yeah, and uh, and then I, I remember too when I was a child, there was a particular man I thought of him a lot recently, um, a man named uh, Neil Brandt. 
he was a he worked for the telephone company and he was kind of an elder figure in this little church pentecostal church and he was my sunday school teacher um and uh you know someone you seem very serious at times but other times you just melt into you could just be crying in the presence of god you know mm. and it was the tears that came back to me his tears are what came back to me but he was he was someone who prayed prayed through with me to receive the gift of tongues man when mm. i was like you know seven years old man. <laughs> and um i just remember he took it very seriously it, and I, I, you know, I think um, they understood these experiences to be rare and to to seek for them, but not that they were just, you know, they weren't available to you all the time, but they were available to us corporately, like we're together praising God, then these things can happen, you know, and, but they were very holy and sacred and special and which is just, it just has a different feel sometimes, right, in, in other settings, um, that it's just it's available to us you know we can command it we can control it we can do whatever it is we want to instrumentalize it and so forth and i think it's far more mysterious than that of course it is we're talking about god who you know is you know beyond us and uh, loves us but is not you know we don't who we don't have by the short hairs and so um but uh trying to think what you're asking about like mm, um i i do think that um that that was neat though the the whole point about the communion of the saints because that's something yeah. that's often frowned upon in protestantism sure um that whole concept and it's interesting it you know it makes logical sense though like god is the god of the living not not the god of the dead not right? the god of the dead so if if those who have died and are are united with christ yeah they're alive you know yes. <laughs> And yeah, they, yeah, yeah. And so, and so Lewis, you know, Lewis could say, somebody asked him, what about praying the saints? He says, well, would you ask Sarah or so-and-so, or would you mm -hmm. ask James, what's his name, to pray for you? Well, yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. So, well, why wouldn't you ask, you know, St. Peter or Mary or Augustine yeah. or whoever to pray for you? Well, they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> and Lewis, Lewis is, this is in Letters to Malcolm Chiefly on Prayer, like, uh, they are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, um, yeah. If Jesus, this actually brings us back to the incarnation too. Yeah. If Jesus yeah. resurrected from the dead, then everybody who is within Christ is also resurrected too. You know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, so you know, I mean, you know, and of course, incarnation with Irenaeus was the thing that God, that God, that God makes the world in love. Mm. That God loves the world mm. that he makes that we somehow in a great primordial tragedy maybe involving the angels maybe involving things but even before the garden the cosmos experiences a, mm. a a disruption of its communion with love mm. including humanity and so death and chaos and other things are sewn into uh the cosmos by you know these actions of 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 uh of you know uh bondage to mm -hmm. darkness and deception and 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 all the other things and but that that as Athanasius says he sees us falling towards non-existence 
not just into the not just death and the grave but just to like to not even having existed mm. from the existence i think Athanasius says falling back into the non-existence from which we came so he takes he becomes mm. what he makes the formless void and falls with mm. us right wow. in order to raise us back up mm. into the divine life so as ben myers and others <clears throat> say you know it's not just um it's not just a return to the garden it is a a taking of the human up into the very life of god mm. um and it's uh, very eastern orthodox and you 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 know you don't you don't you don't get there till you die you know so yeah. nietzsche was right you know, you know there's no resurrection <laughs> without without tombstones so um the uh, but the, it's it's gonna it's coming for everyone you know i mean mm. this the resurrection is coming you know it's the 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 principle of the cosmos is now resurrection not death mm. and um so uh that's good news and um so you know i you know i think a lot of my my experiences these days um in terms of experiences of jesus do happen to come in very difficult circumstances of people's lives and of suffering mm. he is not just beside the person but inside you know mm. um that experience and i'm I, I am communing with jesus through and and so i'll just let's close with with one um last story unless you had another question for me but I have well um, share what you wanted to say. I, I wanted to hear a little bit about um your experience with Bono before we close. But oh yes, 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 yes. But so, but um yeah, but tell me about so, what was so your last thought? Th this most recent experience was with a man who's I call a son in God, who's who I think of as a lot younger than me, but who actually isn't that much younger than me. Um, but you know, borns with special needs but very bright and and very loving and really beautiful. And he was in charge of our acolytes at our parish with our, the children that serve at the altar and, um, you know, help us process in and do all sorts of things and uh, that are that are members of the, the, the church, members of Christ now helping us. And he was so good with them and we miss him so desperately. Before the pandemic, he started to have these incredible back pain and, and muscle loss. During the pandemic, he became basically house-ridden, you know, kind of, you know, not able to really leave home. We thought it was various autoimmune disorders and barre and other things, and we were hopeful even recently that it was very treatable. But the University of Michigan, you know, has just diagnosed him with uh, late stage ALS. And so I went to his house last week um, to sit with him. And uh, there was the most beautiful wrestling going on in him, a defiance of death, a wanting to live, a, you know, desire to remain and at the same time, this equal, mystical, incomprehensible acceptance. And both of them were present together with tears, with 
sorrow, but with joy, with hope. Um, you know, and as I was talking with him and just listening and experiencing Jesus and this person, um, you know, I said, Scott, you're going to become prayer. You know, you are going to become prayer for us, you know, and um, uh, yeah, I, there, there are other things, but I think that's enough. It's just a, a palpable um, instance mm -hmm. of Christ in another person. Oh, yeah. Um, as he told us to expect, mm -hmm. even though we might not always see it and recognize it in the prisoner um, and the poor and the hungry and the, um, the, the thirsty and, and so forth. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really neat that, you know, huh. I mean, that's what makes Jesus everything to us is that he he's in our suffering, right? So I'll, tr yeah, absolutely. So I'll try to tell you, tell you my YouTube. Yeah. Before you um, share it, I was just going to say, um, so I, I'm a musician myself, and me and my friends have a band called the Big League Collective, and we were asked by this other group nice. to put, we're, we're taking U2's best album, you know, Joshua Tree. Yeah. We love Joshua Tree, but we're taking it and we're reimagining it, but um, the, the band's called the, the Turn It Down All-Stars, so we're playing, we're being featured, <laughs> and they're these really? old guys that are great, um, but we've been singing their songs, and we're kind of re-envisioning them more in like a a folky Americana, sometimes bluesy mm. way, bluegrass sometimes. So we're yeah, taking we this Yeah, it's really cool. But as I as I as I listen to the songs, I, I can't help but notice like Bono's writing is very spiritual. And he's very oh yeah, oh yeah, informed by his spirituality. Yeah. Christian very spirituality. deep. It's very deep. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, the connection with you two began in a parking lot of a Del Taco, which is a, a Mexican fast food chain that's in the Southwest, particularly in California. I was a manager in high school of one of these and I was closing one night. Um, I'm not joking. I was 15 years old and I was in charge of this restaurant. And um, I went to the parking lot and there were some young people gathered around a white Toyota pickup truck, which were ubiquitous in Southern California at the time and uh, they had loudspeakers in the tr bed of this truck and they were blasting what I didn't know at the time but it was, they were blasting boy and uh, I will follow and I I went out to the parking lot and I was like this was 1980 and I, I ate 1980 yeah 1980 1981 somewhere along there and and uh and I was like what what is, who is that you know and uh, they said, you too. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I started listening to them. I was listening to a lot of things, but I started listening to them. I got into college. And of course, I, you know, I wore the war album out, the October album out. I wore Under Blood Red Sky in college. And then I forget, I moved to, when I moved to Oral Roberts, you know, is when um, that, that fall was when Unforgettable Fire came out, you know. And uh, and and uh, we went down to uh, Dallas to see them, um, and uh, so, um, you know, my my fandom just grew, you know, and just as I was getting back to California, the Joshua Tree came out. I I drove to the midnight release at Tower Records, you know, um, wept all the way home listening to 
where the streets have no name um you yeah know, that song's is, so good this is 1980 i think it was 87 it came seven, out 1987 yeah. spring of 1987 and still haven't found what i'm looking for and i was just like oh my god because i you know you could you could tell in all those early albums that there was something going on this is before biographies were available or you, <laughs> mm-hmm. knew, you know anything about that charismatic community that they had been a part of or you know and and the crisis that they had had over whether they can be rock stars and you know and like, uh and christians at the same time and all of those things um but i i remained a huge fan um i uh you know i i went i've i think i probably i mean you know i'm not a crazy fan like my friend tim newfeld mm-hmm. uh, who's been you know and or jonathan martin who's been to all sorts of you know, U2 concerts. Mm-hmm. I've probably been to something like a dozen shows or 15 shows, but I'm a huge fan. Wow, that's a lot. And, and, um, and uh, you know, uh, read, you know, everything I could and so forth. But it's interesting in my, you know, my, my, my life since uh, about 04, um, I've come into contact with a lot of people that are very close to various members of the BAM. Yeah. So I'm, I'm only one person away times 15. You know what I mean? <laughs> wow. And so I, we, and, and these, all these people are people that are like, I mean, in the, the core, right. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, but, but anyway, you know, in Oh uh, two, I briefly met Bono at a, at a presser for, the debt age trade organization data which became one um and gave him a book on the songs by my friend patrick henry reardon um and he was very polite and he was interested and, and nice. so forth and so on but really that's the only time that i've had any face-to-face contact with him that's really but cool I, though but but uh, i had written a review of um atomic bomb for national review Wow. Which my friend Kathleen Fulsani, who is really close to them, nice, um, and uh, she sent the review <laughs> to him, and I she introduced me to the man who was their pastor. Oh wow! A man named Jack Heaslip, and um, and uh, we began to get to know each other, and met the first time in Detroit in 2005, um, and again in New York City. Um, in 2012, I, I'm trying to remember the exact years, but I believe it was 2012, summer 2012. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I did, we just had a lot of commonality. We just hit it off. We, we would, we were writing, corresponding and stuff. And, and I think he, I think he appreciated how I understood that as a church of Ireland priest who also had charismatic, um, had had charismatic experiences was, really a pastor to the tours the truck mm-hmm. drivers the technicians the promoters the tech you know every the whole the lighting crews you know baptisms marriages loitering hanging with these people being there for them listening to their stories being the presence of jesus and that that was his church you know yeah wow. and um and so um anyway the to to get to the chase um in 2012, when we met in New York, I carry these. I don't have one with me. I, I do have one, but it's on a shelf over there. Um, and whereas there's an audio thing, but I, I keep good. these. I keep these little wood-mounted 
pocket-sized versions of the Sinai Pontecrotter, which is a sixth-century icon. It was painted in um, Constantinople and oh, cool. uh, by an amazing artist, and then gifted to the Saint Catherine's Monastery at the base of Sinai. And I, you know, I've got mm -hmm. an I've got an essay on that. I mean, we yeah. talk about it forever, but. <laughs> But I, I I keep these pocket sized ones with me and I mm -hmm. give them to people and I I I'd given at that time I'd given hundreds of these away to people and um, I had um, I brought four of them and I I said to Jack I mean you can give these to anybody in the tour you want to you know but I I you know I do intend them for the band members but you know do whatever you want with them uh -huh. you know? and uh, a couple about a week later now now a little backstory on Jack I mean they you know. Jack was their guidance counselor mm -hmm. at Mount Temple. And he has a connection with Bono's family. Uh, I'm not sure with his mother. There's he's family in some extent. Mm -hmm. I don't know the details about that, but but uh but he, you know, he he became and as they were, you know, um releasing their early albums and touring and stuff like that, he became a Church of Ireland priest. He 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 left school work and became a church. A pastor and then before they set off on their all that you can't leave behind tour they asked jack if he would be their chaplain there was another man an australian biker who was their chaplain in the in the 80s and 90s and i, I got to meet him in chicago um uh, back around the same time i met jack but but uh uh anyway what the band mm -hmm. would do what what he would do for the band on concert nights and people there's probably lots of people that know this but the the last thing they had before they go on stage was they met with Jack, just the four band members and Jack. Mm -hmm. And he would lead them in a brief meditation and pray with them. And then they would go on stage. Yeah. And if you see some of the, some of the videos of their concerts, Jack, you know, and the, it's the ones prior to when he got ill, you know, he's, he was, you know, he's this tall, beautiful man walking out, you know, toward the stage with them is Jack. Nice. And uh, and so about a week after we had met in New York at Trump Tower of all places, <laughs> um, and I had given him these icons, he wrote me a letter and, he, and it was an email. And he said, Kenneth, um, I thought you'd like to know that uh, we, we had our final concert in the United States in Pittsburgh the other night. And before the, the band went on stage, I gave each of them the icon that you brought mm -hmm. me. And I I talked to them about this idea that you shared with me about the vulnerable God. Wow. And, and how God becomes really human uh -huh. you know, in Jesus. And then we prayed and we went on stage. And he, he was like, I just thought you'd like to know. And wow, that's really uh, so cool. that's my that's my YouTube story. Um, and I God bless Jack. He he all he died also of, of ALS. Um, uh, just before the first the songs of Innocence uh, came out. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they have a new chaplain named Martin Rowe. Have all also been privileged to meet a couple of times. Um, and like I said, I there's <laughs> this weird thing where I know. Uh several people close to them but i yeah you know, i've never met them myself i'm a big fan still am mm -hmm. um and uh got friends and we're enjoying the new uh songs of surrender remakes of yeah. some other their old songs so they have such deep lyrics like uh 
still haven't found what I'm looking what I'm looking for. We sing it. Me and my band actually have been singing it for a couple of years now. When we do like cover gigs and stuff like that at restaurants, That's a great and bars. song. It's a great song, and and everybody, you know, when you sing it, you can tell like it changes the atmosphere of the room. Oh man, There's something about it, and uh, you can see people having a spiritual experience, even if we're in a bar or a restaurant or whatever. Um, it was it's really warm good, in like, the night. I was cold as a stone. <laughs> yeah, the whole the the end though. I mean, it's so fascinating. The um, I believe in the kingdom come when all the colors will bleed into one. Yes, yes. And I'm still running. And then it says, "I, you broke the bonds, you loose the chains, chains, carried the cross of my shame." Shame, yeah. You know, I believe it. It's so. It's actually really neat, interesting. Yeah. Um, the theology of jesus carrying our shame yeah that's something we yes. often think about yes mm. so beautiful that moment of that precise moment of that song where he says those words including you know i believe it uh-huh. i as as this you know um you know 20 you know uh two-year-old um you know, devotee yeah. of this band. And it was like, this is my band. To hear <laughs> yeah. that kind of gospel uh-huh. in the middle of a rock song, I oh. was I was just absolutely overcome oh, with emotion yeah. in mm-hmm. that moment. Uh, and at March 1987, somewhere yeah. in that, I don't remember the exact night, that it was really mm-hmm. it was there was a night before they would have these release things at midnight at tower records in el toro on you know their release days would be tuesday back in those days right i think and so mm-hmm. the monday night you know there would be like they'd keep the record store open or open it yeah. back up and uh, just late at night i drove up just to get it you know because i was i was that enamored and i was that that album still so meaningful to me i oh. think I think just in terms of music and storytelling and everything in an album that Octune Baby is for me is the masterpiece. Um which one's that? Octune Baby, I think Octune is their, Baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is their is their masterpiece. Um, which is the album that the studio album that came out just after the Joshua Tree, but some years later. Yeah. I mean it was uh they had a live album and then there was a quite a quite a uh, from the time they recorded Joshua Tree in 86 to when they mm-hmm. were recording um Octune Baby it was you know four years I think before wow. because they became the biggest yeah. band in the world in fact I'll tell you one more YouTube yeah, sure. story <laughs> and then I gotta run go for it so um it's the November 1987 Los Angeles, the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. They had been at the LA Sports Arena in the spring. And I'd gone with my the man who was my best friend in high school and was my best man at my wedding and my brother. And I can't remember who else, but it may have been one of my sisters. We had gone to see them there on the first leg of the Joshua Tree tour. Mm-hmm. And they were big, but not but they, when they came back to LA, they were the biggest thing in rock and roll. Oh, yeah. Five nights sold out 
at the LA Coliseum. Wow. Which is just a, ma- I mean, you know, massive venue. And all of the music industry and all of Hollywood showed up for those concerts. So I, I'm, I, my fiance, my, my now wife had flown in from Minneapolis to go to this concert with me. And we had met at ORU. And, um, and so we drove up together in my black Toyota pickup and uh, parked in the parking lot. And I get out of my car, truck. And as I'm going around to get her, I, I see Bob Seeger not 12 feet from the truck, leaning up against a palm tree in the parking lot. Wow. And, uh, you know, Night Moves is like, I think it's one of the greatest songs ever recorded. Did you talk you know, to him? Mary, well, here's the thing. <laughs> I said, that's Bob Seeger. And I, I, we've got to go talk to him. My, my wife is an introvert. And she's like, please don't, you know, please don't go up. And my I think it's probably one of the it's in the top 20 of my regrets in my life is not going up to him and telling him that night moves is one of the greatest, you know, compositions of American wow. rock ever. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he lives in, you know, he lives in Clarkston, which is, you know, just uh, 30 miles, but I've never run into him. Um, wow. But he, he lives like 15 miles from here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, anyway, um, we get into the Coliseum and go down and I'd actually gotten us choice seats because I, you know, just camped out, you know, to get them uh-huh. like they used to do. You know, you would you know, literally uh-huh. just, you know, wait on a line outside in front of a ticket master, you know, and now you're going to have to break it. the Internet in order to buy a tickets. Yeah, I know. You had to go in person, you know, <laughs> and wait for the one of the ticket offices to open up. And there was one at the local mall and I just, you know, I, I was one of the first people in line. I went, oh, dark 30 and got these tickets. And as we're, we get into our seats and sit down and Robbie Robertson and all of his people come walk, the whole band entourage and his people, right. go walking by, which the band had just done some songs with, right. You two and Robbie wow. Robertson had done some songs together and a Corbin Birdson and his wife, a model actor, I don't know, she, they were sitting, because we were really close to the track. Um, mm-hmm. But I look back up the stairs, and I'm not kidding, Graham Nash and David Crosby wow. are descending the staircase toward us. <laughs> and they get past and sit down right in front of my fiance. And no I, way. Yeah. And, um, you know, may he uh, rest in peace. Yes. And of course, I mean, you know, helpless, ho- hopelessly, you know, uh, what's it? What, how's it? What's the name of it? Helplessly hoping. Me and my friends. Hel- helplessly hoping. Helplessly, helplessly hoping. That is, that's another, I mean, that's one of the great compositions. Great and harmonies. Course, also, the harmonies and the, 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 the singing is just like angelic. Uh-huh. But anyway, um, I, and I think that's a Stephen Stills song, isn't it? But the Crosby and Nash are right in front of us, and I, I, I just, you know, I leaned in and said, you know, you had to love, love your music, you know. And of course, I think with you know sixty thousand people there, and they aren't the center of the universe by a long stretch anymore. But for a young, I mean, at the time I was, you know, I was, uh, you know, twenty three. You know, and wow. for me to lean into them and say, hey, you know, I love your music. You know, I got a night. They both were very nice. And wow. Uh, 
So, um, and then one of the only times that they ever did this, you um, two came out as the Dalton brothers, this kind of, you know, they dressed up with beards and wigs and, <laughs> and did all this kind of, you know, country music that some of they've written, like they had the song called Lucille, um, which is just a beautiful song and uh and and some other things and you know everybody was like who is this because i i think lone justice was the opening band i can't remember exactly but i think it was lone justice and then then these other cats come out and like who are these people you know um and then of course they came out and you know uh, they had just got done filming in denver and in las vegas for the film that would become rattle and hum so you could see the 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 level of the performance that they were giving in those films at those theaters. We saw the same thing there in LA, and I I'd already been hooked for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm one of these people that uh, I think the only album of theirs that I never really warmed to was Pop, but there's even a few songs on that that I really, really like. You know, and I also liked, um, you know uh their uh album from 2009 that's escaping me right now um yeah i don't know a lot of their stuff i just yeah. I, i'm just such a huge i'm such a huge fan fan of the joshua tree oh yeah album, and i have been for many years and when we got asked to sing it i was like oh wow that'd be awesome and um and it's just so it's so neat and it was, it's a classic and oh, and yeah. all all of the other stuff that they recorded Mm-hmm. when they were recording the joshua tree mm-hmm. some of which is on rattle and hum like um the the final song of of rattle and Exit. hum oh i don't know um uh um all all i want is you oh yeah which was recorded you know at the same <clears> time <throat> so is sweetest thing uh so is spanish eyes so is walk to the water you know all of the all of the other material from those recording sessions mm-hmm. is magical. Yeah, What's really neat is. is they they really um, were <laughs> Heartland. Had... Heartland was also oh, yeah. from from that. Well, speaking of suffering, they they really sang a lot about what was happening in the world with wars. Yeah. Like the whole mothers of the yeah. disappeared was about you know the oh no the doubt people who were stolen in Argentina and. They're they're very anti-war as well. Oh yeah, and I mean you know both the blue sky, which was very much about his experiences in El Salvador. Yeah, Um, and you know he's continued. I mean, and they have continued to be everywhere, Um, in Serbia, you know, uh, and um, and and uh, and Kosovo, and and then you know of course now in the Ukraine, um, you know been really you know been forces for um for love you know yeah and mm-hmm. and for the and it's deeply rooted they they are deep uh christians mm-hmm. you know not in the not necessarily in a way that you know an american evangelical would recognize yeah uh, but but you know an american evangelical would not recognize you know a ukrainian bush are they either, born again you know um <laughs> Or, you know, a Nigerian, you know, Anglican, I mean, you know, or a Coptic Christian in Ethiopia, you know, there it's, you know, there there are other ways, you know, believe it or not, of of following Jesus. So Mm -hmm. um, anyway, it's been wonderful talking to you, Peter. How do you pronounce your last name, which is Lesperance? 
Yeah, it's a wonderful looking name. French. It means the hope. The hope. Yeah. L'espérance. L'espérance. The hope. Le, L'espérance. All right. Yeah, well, very the, the H O P E. That's what it means. The hope. Yep. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was really, really great uh, meeting you, Peter, and and talking yeah. with you. And I hope this is helpful to your listeners. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing everything. And uh, I'll definitely keep in touch. All right, bro. All right. Well, you have a great evening. Yep. Good. Good God's peace. Good night. Lord, Lord, the nature of your wrath It's not an easy path But I'm willing to trust Though I'm dying in the dust